fill us. Externally, internally, surround us with your love. In the name of Jesus, amen. Wow, what a week. What a week. I, I learned a lot this week. I had no idea how many things I touch. Did you learn that? I had no idea how many things I touch. And how many things you touch. So just for the record. <laughs> I was watching your hands, Graham. <laughs> Good. I'm covered. No, 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 not really. Saturday is my day to go to the Y, and my long run day. It's a six-mile run, not a seven-mile run, Ross, but I only do six on Saturday. So I guess that only gets me to the pastoral epistles or something. Um, so I went early because I thought I'll beat the rush. And the treadmill I like is right beside the bicycles, and there's some fans there, and that's why I like the treadmill by the bicycles. And uh, so I got there about 10 after 7, and there was a lady already out on the treadmill, and she was at the second treadmill beside the bicycle. I was like, sorry, lady, that's my treadmill. I got to go there because it's near the fans. I'm here for an hour. And in the mornings, I'm kind of cloggy, and I'm a little bit cloggy this morning. And I thought, I wonder if I should tell her, you know, when you hear me kind of <clears throat> clearing my throat, I'm not sick. I wasn't on the treadmill four minutes. She stops, she wipes down her treadmill, and she moves down three more. It's like, that's, sorry, lady, that's just, but that's the world. That's the world in which we live. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, what can I say? How is you know, we had the sermon planned for today. Is this one of those crises moments? Is this one of those situations where you throw everything out the door and uh, say, no, what, what does the Word of God say? What is the Spirit prompting me to say into this situation for us? Because, yeah, uh, I mean, 100 years ago, nothing like it for 100 years. It's new for all of us, right? So, I do think we're, we we're in a place where what we've been talking about does speak in, into the situation. Last week, we were looking at the church in Philadelphia, uh, not so much from Graham's chart, but looking at it in a positive way, not the negative way. So we're getting both sides of Philly here. Um, but the idea we talked in, when we were in the city of Philadelphia, brotherly love, and how the early church uh, was able to sort of be, I use the phrase, kind of like first responders when it came to disease, pestilence, famine, uh, crises, the early church. There wasn't a health care system. The rich people took care of the rich people, and that's kind of how it worked, and everybody else was on their own, and the church was almost like first responders when it came to, to crises and to problems, especially illness, disease, uh, death. The early, the early church, they took care of, of the majority of people in, in society. And, and it got me thinking, you know, um, I was li listening to one of the reports yesterday, showed a lady from Italy, and uh, they were she was telling about what they've been doing in Italy, and she said, and th this is what she said, we, we're learning to take care of each other in a different way. Interesting. We're learning to take care of each other in a different way. So are there opportunities for us as the church in the 21st century to be like the church in the first century? Are there, as we talked about last week, if 
if there's a gap that needs to be filled or a need that needs to be met? Are, are there gaps that, that we can fill? And, and maybe we need to be a little creative about that. Uh, for example, is there something we as a church... This is a church that loves kids, right? No question about it. That's part of the history of the church. That's part of the profile of the church when we were looking for a pastor. Um, was children's ministry. Are there some child care, creative child care things we can do? You know, if they shut down the schools for single moms who, who need to work, for medical personnel who need to work. And it was interesting just talking to Kirsten about already the domino effect from uh, nurses that are, are in um, two-week um, self-isolation until they can come back to work because they've been traveling. So are there childcare ways that, that we can creatively think about, or that you maybe individually, because a lot of this is sort of individually as, a, as opposed to group stuff, right? But maybe there's creative ways we can think about helping single moms when um, their children need taken care of should and when the schools shut down or for medical personnel. Um, are there creative ways we can help seniors connect with families if they're in some kind of lockdown or shutdown and they don't have internet? Is there some way, I don't know, but maybe there's some way we can help families connect with families and, and with seniors. May, I don't know, but maybe we can come up with a creative way to do that. Can we offer employment opportunities? Maybe not full employment opportunities, but some employment opportunities for unemployed individuals because of the economic impact. So there's those kind of things. I, I'm, I'm just throwing those out there. Are there things, and I'm just kind of taking the model of the first century, because as I got to know what the church was like in the first century, part of the growth of the church in the first century because of how they treated people in the first century and their care for people that nobody else would care for. So I'm just saying, maybe, and I, I just pulled those out of a hat. They're not inspired by any means. They're just ideas. And I'm sure you have your own ideas. So, there, so there's the caregiving part of the situation we find ourselves in. Then there's the economic part of the situation we find ourselves in. So Philadelphia was kind of, we talked about it in terms of the first century church and the care and love for brothers and sisters and for those, the poor uh, and the sick in their area. But there's also, Laodicea is about the economy. Laodicea is a city, you can't tell there, you will be able to tell in a minute, but it... I think it's kind of like the history of Regina. It was put at a place where uh, trade routes crossed. There was nothing about water. A lot of cities are placed where water is. Laodicea was not built where water is. It was about where trade happened and where the trade routes were. And if I'm not mistaken, Regina was put where it was because of the railroad. It had nothing to do with water. And water becomes a problem for Laodicea, but the economy isn't. Uh, Laodicea is a very um, important economic city, trade city. It is a banking center for the uh, people in the area. It, trade and commerce is what made it run and tick. Uh, very wealthy, very rich. Uh, it was also kind of like spa city in, in the area. Um, very good medical care. Uh, they had some good, good reputation for uh, an ISAV, but it was very much uh, about the economy. I wonder if this situation doesn't help us as followers of Jesus, just kind of stop and wonder about our dependence on the economy versus dependence on Jesus. I mean, I was telling you a week or two ago about me watching my RRSPs go in the tank. 
And that's only RSP since I've been in the Alliance. So since 2001, because before that, I didn't have any RSP thing happening. But does this sort of help us sort of check ourselves a little bit in what is it I'm trusting in? What is it I am depending on? What do I find security in? The kind of a wake-up call is maybe a bit of a reality check for us to realize, you know, maybe my dependencies are a little misplaced and maybe they've kind of gotten skewed because, and I, and I didn't see it, just like I didn't know how often I touched things, right? I mean, I didn't realize how I touched my face then after I touched, you know, that whole thing. Maybe I didn't realize how dependent I was on the economy. I mean, right? Jobs makes the world go round, we, we think. I mean, that's kind of all about jobs. Is it? Is it? Is that their Christian perspective? So Laodicea is very much a, a, a profitable, um, economic uh, situation that, uh, yeah, I, I think it speaks into the situation. So we're going to look at the seventh letter to the seventh church, Paul's, or John's letter to the church in Revelation, uh, page 1139, if you're working with the church Bibles, page 1139, otherwise Revelation chapter 3, uh, the letter to the church in Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, page 1139 in the, in the church Bibles. Verse 14, Revelation 3, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. As with every letter, it begins with a picture of Jesus, an image of Jesus that comes from the bigger image back in, in chapter 1 when John encountered Jesus in the opening of his revelation. And it's pretty concise, but they're pretty powerful terms. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true, the ruler of God's creation. There's this idea of, of Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus will do what he says he will do. He is faithful and true. And not only that, he is the ruler of everything. <laughs> kind of puts it all in a nutshell, right? Everything is under his control. Everything is because of his rulership. The amen. Um, you may be familiar in the Gospels where Jesus is verily, verily. It's the same word, amen or this is the word of God, uh, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Pretty concise, yet pretty all-encompassing. It kind of goes back to our pile of rocks. God is faithful, and his word is true. Then verse 15, verse 15, as often happens in these letters, Jesus tells the church he's speaking to what he knows. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. This is the one church where Jesus has nothing good to say about it. And it kind of revolves around this hot-cold picture. Now, what you need to know is that uh, the city of Laodicea, if we can see the map, Chris, the city of Laodicea, was in what's called the Lycus Valley, the Lycus River and the Lycus Valley. And there's a town about six miles to the north called Hierapolis, and they had hot springs. They had hot springs. You may think of the Banff Hot Springs. You've been to Watrous for the mineral water in Watrous. Any of you been to Watrous? 
Okay, yeah, look, look. <laughs> All you guys over here. Nobody over here. <laughs> you guys need to get out more. Um, <laughs> so they had the hot springs. And Colossae, you know Colossae, that's the Paul's letter to the Colossians, which, by the way, was written to this group of churches, uh, not just Colossae. Colossae had cold mountain spring water. So you got these two things. Laodicea, because they were at the trade routes, they positioned themselves on the trade routes, they didn't have either. So they wanted to get both. And the big deal is that from Hierapolis to Laodicea, they built an aqueduct. Now that's what an aqueduct looks like, uh, just FYI, if you don't. Haven't seen any pictures from the first century. That's how they got water uh, from Hierapolis. That's not the Hierapolis aqueduct, but that's like it. So six miles, they bring hot water down to Laodicea. And guess what happens to hot water when it travels for six miles? It ain't so hot. So, and if you were to transport water from Colossae to Laodicea, the nice, cold, pure spring water, and you don't have refrigeration, it ain't so cold. And so the, the picture here is, as, as Jesus tells the church what he knows, he says, um, it's not about spiritual temperature, it's about just the reality that they would be very, very conscious of right away. Um, you're neither hot nor cold, your, your situation is, is useless, it's unpalatable, it makes me sick, Jesus says. Not only that, there was limestone in, in, the high, in the Hierapolis area. The hot springs came out of a limestone kind of base rock, and limestone uh, erodes into the water, and, and so you get the sulfury, the, the chemicals in the water, and it's, it's not very good to drink either. It doesn't taste very well. So there's, there's all those kind of combinations in this when Jesus says to them, um, because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Not one good thing to say about this church. When you look at all seven churches, we can go to the next slide, Chris. When you look at all seven churches, you've got the two churches where there's nothing bad to say about them, okay? So the two churches, the church in Smyrna, the church in Philadelphia, Jesus has nothing bad to say about them. These are the A-list churches, okay, in this, in this area. These are the churches that get an A on their report card. Smyrna, they're afflicted and poor. Doesn't matter, they get an A. Philadelphia is weak. Um, it says you have, we looked at this last week, you have a little strength. There's nothing else in the letter that is critical, so this is, this is not a put down, this is not a shot at them, it's just simply the status. They're, they're weak. There's, there's no criticism, there's no recommendation, um, no call to repent, they don't need to repent. Now, the next two in the middle, Thyatira and Pergamum, are kind of interesting because they're, they're kind of a mix of good and bad. And if you go back and you read the letters, Thyatira is told to hold on, and Pergamum is told, and most, both these have kind of problems with false teachers, but both of them, Thyatira is told to hold on to, to what, they, what they have believed and not, not succumb to the false teachers. Pergamum is told that when Jesus comes, he's going to fight against the false teachers. That's the them he's going to fight against. The rest of them, they're to hold on and to hold fast. Now, the bottom three, I put in red. In soccer, if you get a red card, you're out of the game, right? You're, you're heading to the sidelines. You're heading for the dressing room. So these, these three churches have been red carded. Ephesus, the word is, Jesus says, I'm going to take out your lampstand. I'm going to shut off the power. Sardis, 
We look at a couple weeks ago, church is living dead, right? They're, 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 this is zombie church. Okay? And Laodicea, you make me sick. Again, our evaluation of what makes a church healthy, what makes a church right in God's eyes as opposed to what makes it right in my eyes. Um, Laodicea was a very wealthy church, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, Sardis, the, the lights were on, but nobody was home, if you will. And Ephesus, uh, it was so cold in that church that they had lost and left their first love. So it's a good frame of reference for you and I to evaluate what we think church should be. And, and when church is right, what does it look like? When a church is running on all cylinders, what does that look like? I don't think we think it looks like Smyrna or Philadelphia. I don't think that's what we think. So what did the church in Laodicea think about themselves? Let's go back. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Here's what the church in Laodicea thought of themselves. Jesus says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Their evaluation of themselves didn't match the Savior's evaluation of them. And Jesus has some advice for them. You want to buy something? You want to spend your money? Spend it on gold refined in the fire. And you can't get away from the fact that gold refined in fire is often a picture of suffering and hardship, persecution. If you want to buy something, buy gold that's been refined in fire. If you want to go shopping, if you want clothes to wear, and Laodicea was known, one of the, one of the things it was known for was this apparently rich, black, uh, silky, shiny wool that they, they produced. And it was kind of renowned in, in the area, in, in, um, in Asia Minor and, and in Rome for, for the quality of this black wool. Jesus says, if you want to go shopping, if you want something to wear, try working on white garments to wear, the kind that I provide. If you want to see better, if you want better vision, then ask for sap to put on your eyes so you can really see what I see. So this rich city, uh, rich is kind of a relative term, isn't it? I think. Um, when Karen and I were first married in 1974, I remember hearing an echo that her grandma and grandpa had been to Hawaii. So in the 60s, um, grandma and grandpa, Sharon's grandma and grandpa went to Hawaii. I mean, I never even gave Hawaii a thought in those days. Like, <laughs> only rich people get to Hawaii. Sharon and I have now been to Hawaii three times. Do I consider myself rich? No. Or maybe I should. I talked about 
my RRSPs. In 15 years at Living Hope Alliance in Regina, that was my only RRSP package thanks to the Alliance and the way they work it with the churches. And so I, I put that into, uh, or locked up. You know, I can't get to them until I'm 70. Which, by the way, when I heard Quebec say people who are 70 need to stay indoors, all of a sudden yesterday in the car I thought, oh, that might as well be me. <laughs> it's just, all, right? It's, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of life. I'm thinking of life differently. I think that's a good thing. So my RRSPs, thanks to the Alliance and thanks to 15 years in Regina, Yeah, that I have RSPs makes me rich. Even have RSPs to worry about makes me rich. That I live in a country, as Graham said, where we have a healthcare system, and when we have where we have Canada Pension Plan and old age security, relatively speaking, I'm rich. I'm rich. I, I think we need to be really careful of our understanding of wealth. Isn't there a commercial that says you're richer than you think you are? Isn't there a commercial or, or somewhere that you're richer than you think you are? <laughs> Boy, I wonder, I wonder if we're richer than we think we are. And this whole thing with Laodicea, I mean, right? Do you hear what they say? you hear what they say? You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. In fact, in 60 A.D., about 30 or so years before this letter was written, there was a devastating earthquake that wiped out the city of Philadelphia and wiped out the city of Laodicea. And so apparently there was some ways the Roman Empire, the emperor, would help them out. Philadelphia asked Rome for help. Laodicea didn't. They said, we can do it on our own. We don't need your money. We got lots of money. And they rebuilt the city and they made their elaborate buildings were better than they were before. We don't need your help. We can do it. I don't, that's, that's the nature, the culture of that city. Well, that's the city. Verse 19. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. We talked about this back when we were in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The father disciplines his children, and it's good for the child, and it's good when God disciplines us. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous, be earnest, and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, and they with me. What do they need to do? They need to respond to Jesus. They need to realize, first of all, how Jesus works in love and in discipline, that discipline doesn't negate love, and love doesn't negate discipline. I mean, we like to tell our kids that, but we don't like it when God tells us that. Or at least, I like to tell my kids that. I don't like it when God tells me that. And what's Jesus doing? Well, he's, he's presenting himself to them. He is figuratively knocking on the door. Because essentially, the church has said, we don't need Jesus. That, that's why... We, we can get along quite fine without you. That's why Jesus, Laodicea is getting this letter. They think they're okay, but they're not. What door is Jesus knocking on? I know a lot of times we think it's the door of the heart. 
But these are already Christians, so it's not Jesus saying, let me into your life. They've already let Jesus into their life. Is it the door of the church? Because remember, the church is meeting in, in somebody's home. I wonder if it's a picture of Jesus just knocking on the door of the church saying, let me in. Obviously, there's the individual response, and obviously there, there, there's the idea of allowing Jesus to come back in. It's, it's, it's the picture of revival. It's the picture of renewal. It's the picture of a, a new start, a new beginning. It's a picture of reconciliation and restoration. They've shut the door and they don't even realize it. And when they respond, what will Jesus do? He says, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. In the first century, that's the picture of acceptance. In the Middle East, that's the picture of acceptance. If you're invited to eat with somebody, you've been accepted. You are welcome. You belong. You count. You matter. You're a member of the family. But there's also, I think, in this eating thing, the picture that most of us know about in terms of the book of Revelation, and that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's this idea of ultimate eternal life with Jesus. Feasting with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is, this is for Christians. This is not for unbelievers and unchurched. This is, this is for a church. This is a letter to a church. Just as I don't realize, maybe I'm richer than I think, I wonder if I'm not as spiritual as I think. I wonder if I'm not as in tune with Jesus as I might think I am. This kind of letter just gets them thinking that because that's what these letters are supposed to do. It's to get their attention. Verse 21, to those who are victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. And again, how was Jesus victorious? Through suffering. Through dying on the cross, through experiencing all that he experienced in his hardship and opposition from sinful human beings. He overcame, he was victorious by suffering. And so, Jesus reminds them, I will give you the right to rule with me. Again, the fulfillment of the promises. And then finally, what do we need to do? Verse 22, as we've heard in every letter, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen to the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. What do we do? Listen to the Spirit. Because the words of Jesus are the words of the Spirit. The words of Jesus that he is sending to these churches are the words of the Spirit. Because that's, this letter starts out with the words of Jesus, and the letter ends with, hear what the Spirit says. So, Spirit and Jesus are equal when it comes to the words of Jesus. John chapter 14, or sorry, John chapter 16 Verse 14, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from me what is mine and making it known, revealing it to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So what's mine, Jesus says, I give to the Spirit. The only way you hear from me is through the Spirit. There is no other avenue. There is no other ways and means. The words of Jesus are the words of the Spirit.
you're not recognizing the Holy Spirit, you're not hearing from me. If you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, you're not hearing, listening to me. I kind of think we need to just stop there for a minute. Do I equate the words of Jesus with the words of the Spirit? That I can't have one without the other? I can't think I'm listening to Jesus and not understand that that has to come through the Holy Spirit? That song Edwin Allison sang for the offertory, uh, we didn't have the words up for you, and I hope you caught some of the words. One of the phrases that comes up is, Lord, Holy Spirit, give us revelation. The only way we know what Jesus wants is through the Holy Spirit. If anyone hears my voice, do I understand the Holy Spirit's role in that way? But then, practically, right? How do I hear the Spirit? How do I hear the Spirit? Here's a couple of things. Number one, I need to be in the Word. That's why Ross's presentation tonight is so important. To be in the Word, to understand the Scripture, to understand the flow of the story, and understand how God works from beginning to end. Be in the Word, listen to the Word. And understand that the words of Jesus are the words of the Spirit, and the words of the Spirit are the words of Jesus. I need to be in the Word. Not casually, not occasionally. I need to be in the Word. You say we're people of the book. Secondly, I need to understand my gifting and calling because how does God place us in the body? It's, it's by the spiritual gifts he's given us. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. The Holy Spirit calls us to certain roles. came across a quote by Bill Hull. Um, Back in the 90s, I read a book by Bill Hall called Can We Save the Evangelical Church? Uh, turns out it's not available in Google Books or anything, so I couldn't get the exact quote, but I found a quote from another book he had written that's kind of close to the one I was looking for. He says, Christ has not shortchanged his people. His church has everything it needs right now. And that was kind of the phrase I was looking for for you, Preston Van Lines Church, to know it's not something we need to go looking for. God has already gifted us for what we need to do, in the words of Dr. Hearn, um, for the situation we find ourselves in. His church has everything it needs right now. Every gift, every talent, every dollar needed presently resides in his church. This makes discipleship so critical because the untapped resources in our churches reside in the undiscipled members of our congregations. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness as individuals and as a body of believers. Don't be too quick to think you know who the undiscipled members of this congregation are. What is your spiritual gift? you know what your spiritual gift is? How can it be used? Does it fit into any of those scenarios I talked about at the beginning of maybe what EAC brings to the table in the, in the uh, COVID-19 crisis? What is your spiritual gift and how can it be used? Where can it be used? And it might start to look different as to how you use it. Well, I don't think it will ever end. So, be in the word. Understand your gifting and calling. And thirdly, Ask for help. How do I hear the Spirit? Ask for help. Um, that might sound really strange, but 
But remember the church in Laodicea? They didn't need any help. We don't need it. We can do it. We got, I got this covered. Whatever it is, I got this covered. We can make this work. And you know what? Pastors are bad for functioning that way. I don't need help. I got it under control. And sometimes we do, and frankly, sometimes we don't. How do I hear the Spirit? I ask for help. Why? Because what's the Holy Spirit's name? In John chapter 14, King James Version, Comforter. What's some other translations say for the name for the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 16? Helper? Helper? Uh, counselor? Counselor, you could go with counselor, advocate, advisor, ally, supporter, encourager. Pick one. It's possible that if we're not asking for help, we're not listening to the Spirit. Asking for help for God, to God, asking for help to one another. I want to impress upon you the importance of the Holy Spirit in all this. Jesus' words are the Holy Spirit's words. The Holy Spirit's words are Jesus' words. You can't have one without the other. Christian Missionary Alliance is a background in the holiness movement, and the Holy Spirit is, is a big part of who we are and how we function. You heard Dr. Hearn refer to it in terms of healing and in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray. How do I hear the Holy Spirit? How do I ask the Holy Spirit for help? Well, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, as fathers, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's really quite simple. I ask. I want to be filled with the Spirit, if I want to be led by the Spirit, if I want to live by the Spirit, if I want to keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5, I ask. I ask. And the songs we've chosen as the service closes this morning relate to that sort of nudge, that sort of encouragement, that sort of push for us to realize our dependence on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit means also breath, right? And so, God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And if I want the breath of God in my life, that's the Holy Spirit. To be filled with, to be led by, to live by, to keep in step with. I sure don't want to be the church that makes Jesus gay. I don't want to be the church that acts like, hey, I got it all under control. Because if, if COVID-19 tells us anything, right, it kind of starts telling us what we can't control and our limitations. And maybe that's not a bad thing, especially for followers of Jesus. Especially for followers of Jesus. Edwin, awesome.